Dr. Matthew Castro here at Central Church in Kyreville, Tennessee. I'm the adult ministries pastor. You are listening to the Church and Politics Equip class. It meets on Wednesday night at 6.15 p.m. in room 235. So we are going to talk about homosexuality. I'm going to mention a few books if you're inclined to read uh, books. Um, this is probably one of the better ones. What's up, Mark? <laughs> Yeah, you, <laughs> uh, this is by Sam Alberry. Al- he uh, is a pastor in England as God anti-gay. Um, actually, Sam um, was, is someone who does struggle with same-sex attraction. Um, so he is uh, a celibate. He is not married, um, and he has written this book, and it's very, very good. It's not very long. Um, this would be a great book also if you know someone who um, is homosexual, who's gay, um, and you've had interactions and conversations, this is a really good book written by someone who has struggled with same-sex attraction. And what's the name of the... The author? Sam Alberry. A-L-L-B-E-R-R-Y. Huh? You've got them on the back. Okay, cool. That one's on the back. Some of these aren't. Um, another one is Same-Sex Attraction in the Church by Ed Shaw. I'm just going to leave these over here. If you were interested in some of the stuff we talked about last week, uh, I want to recommend two books to you. I may have mentioned this one, Wonderfully Made. Wonderfully Made. This is a really good book on, um, you know, gender and transgenderism. Plus, it's it's really kind of a theology of the the body. This is really good. Um, And the next one, yeah, I'm trying to, it's John uh, Kleing, Kleinging. K-L-E-I-N-I-G. Whoa, say that again. Yeah, K-L-E-I-N-I-G. A lot of cops. John. (laughs) (laughs) This is called Wonderfully Made. made. Yeah, this is really good. But if you you want kind of a deeper dive into, again, the body. Uh, So what is the theology? What What is God's view of the body? And if you're interested kind of in these kind of this, this cultural analysis that we're in, um, is Strange New World by Carl Truman. This is very, very good. Um, Carl Truman is, is a really great writer, good, good thinker on the culture. Um, there's a bigger version of this. This is the appendage. This is a smaller one. This is a smaller one. So. Truman? He's a Presbyterian, so be careful. Okay. <laughs> This is a Baptist joke. It's all good. <laughs> um, so, anyways, I'll leave those up there if you want to. Uh, this one, he does. A, he's kind of. Um, he analyzes the culture and just kind of shows where the culture has been going. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, four. Yep. So, Yogi. I don't work for any publisher or anything, so I'm not. I'm just a book reader. So promote the church bookstore, though. Crosswalk. They can I, order a lot of. They can order these, the correct? Um, and um, and Dr. Allman's new book is in the bookstore. So I'll just let you know. You're. I think you are maybe customer one. Yeah. You could be. I mean, honored. yeah, honor. <laughs> What's up? Same sex attraction in the church. Shaw was the first thing. Oh, yeah, Ed Shaw. Ed Shaw. 
Okie dokie. Um, okay, so we're going to end our whole our time talking about uh, homosexuality and same-sex attraction. Hopefully, if we're done a little bit early, if you have any questions about anything that we've talked about, you can ask. And um, so um, I wanted to go back to, to the weirder because we've been kind of introducing this and kind of, and this gets back into that democratic and romantic, how I feel. Um, and so people's desire about their sexuality, right? People are expressing um, that their sexuality, like I am attracted to, I'm a man, I'm attracted to men. This is just my sexuality, right? I'm just living out my sexuality. Um, and so that's why you see that kind of terminology in our culture, especially when we had gay marriage in 2015 uh, becoming legal. Um, people are wanting the right to be able to marry those who they desire to marry, right? Um, they want to be in a, a civil union. They want the benefits that men and women have in marriage um, because they are attracted, they desire um, those of the same sex, and therefore they should have the right to be able to marry whoever they want. Um, and this is how they feel. This is their own sexuality. And so they reject any kind of outside authority that tells them what is right or wrong about sexuality. Um, one of the things that Sam Alberry does a good job in his book is distinguishing these two things. Why do you think it's important to distinguish those two things? You would be like, well, aren't those just synonyms of each other? Isn't someone who's gay have same-sex attraction? Is, what's the difference? What do you think? Why do you think these are important to distinguish? So someone's not carrying out their attractions. Or attracted to, they're not carrying it out. So, yes, yeah, so you're saying there are people who have same-sex attraction but who do not actually live it out, correct? Is that what you were saying, Heidi? Yeah. When you, when you call yourself gay, you're kind of embracing an identity, right? This is actually an identity word, okay? This is I'm a homosexual, I'm gay, I embrace the culture, I embrace the, what it means to be a gay man or a gay woman, right? And Sam Albury does a great job uh, of, like, saying, well, I struggle with same-sex attraction, but that's not my identity. My identity is someone who follows Christ. My sexuality does not represent who I am completely. When someone calls themselves gay, they're actually embracing more than simply just same-sex attraction, right? They're embracing the entire culture. This is who I am as I identity. Hence why they react the way that they do when people are against homosexuality. You're, you're rejecting their entire identity. Is what, you're, is what we're doing. That's how they respond. That's how they interpret it. Um, so, but this is not who you are, right? Um, and actually, Sam Alberry encourages those who, who struggle with same-sex attraction to realize that we, we all are sinners, right? And we can't embrace our sin, right? We can't embrace the distortion of the fall, right? Um, and... That's, that can't be who you are. You, you have to, you, as, as, as Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, you have to take up your cross and follow him, right? You don't go, well, this is who I am, and this, I'm, I'm giving this up, right? This is my identity. Well, Sam Albert's like, no, I struggle with same-sex attraction, but I follow Christ, therefore, I am not a gay man. So that's why I recommend that book, because it's such a good book. You have a question, Vicki? Yeah, no, it's just a comment. Um, it's... Yeah, one thing about David, I learned this from a friend of mine who struggled with um, drug addiction his entire life. 
was in and out of jail, and he had such a humble spirit because he said, I'm, I'm like David, I'm agreeing with God that this is sin and saying, help me, I can't help myself. There's a big difference there. Mm. Just like what you're saying about Albert. Mm. So I'm going to, because we are talking about sexuality tonight, we're going to talk about sex. So hopefully that's okay with you that we're in the church and we're talking about that. Uh, but God has created us, men and female, and we, are, we have a sexuality, right? And um, this is not a bad thing. It's not something we should be afraid to talk about. Sexuality is good. It's not evil. Um, sexuality is not a necessary evil. Um, I think one of the things that has distorted the, the church a little bit is Catholic views on sex, is that sex is bad, sex is wrong, uh, Mary never had sex. I don't know where those half-brothers of Jesus came from, but they didn't come through, through Joseph. It's just really, really awkward with it, right? Um, I think actually, has anyone been to the Vatican? I've never been to the Vatican. But supposedly they've removed all the male parts, right, on statues. I didn't bother to look. Oh, you didn't bother to look. <laughs> I saw David. That was, nice. <laughs> that was awesome. That's the quote of the of the year. That's the best. Um, so, um, <laughs> so it's a sexuality is a gift from God, right? And um, God has created us to have the capacity to have sex, right? To have the the ability to do so, and uh, we should receive it as a gift from the Lord. But it does come with restrictions, right? And so that's what we're going to kind of talk about tonight. And uh, we're going to talk about same-sex attraction in particular. And hopefully tonight you'll be able to help those who struggle with same-sex attraction, right? Those who are in the church and those outside the church. Um, be able to minister to them well. So that's kind of the point of tonight. Um, you have your, your notes here. We're going to start again in Genesis 1. That's just kind of where we have to start, right? Uh, Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to look at 27 through 28. I know we looked at it quite a few times, but we're going to look at it uh, again tonight. Can somebody read Genesis 1:27 through 28? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth as you do and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Thanks a lot. Um, so God has created, again, male and female. He created them in his image. But then he says, he blesses them and says, be fruitful and multiply. What is he talking about? He's not talking about crops. He's talking about having children and filling the earth with the image bearers of God. This is what he's talking about. So there is a, a command by the Lord to be fruitful and multiply. That, that you, have, you have the man and the woman, and we see in Genesis 2 that it's Adam and Eve, and they're, they're married, right? They're brought together. There's one flesh, and they are called to be fruitful and multiply, to have children, to fill the earth. So this is a good thing. God has created the ability for them to come together and to have sex, and to then, therefore, there's something that comes from that, which is a child. And this is a good thing. This is, a, this is a, by God's design. Um, the male and female, one union coming together is by God's design. And it's a good thing, right? 
Hence the, the disagreement with like the Catholic Church, another who sees sex as a necessary evil. Like God created it good and should be uh, viewed that way. It's good. In Genesis chapter 2.18, we see the problem that Adam is alone, right? He's alone. So how is he supposed to be fruitful and multiply by himself? He can't. It's impossible. He cannot uh, be, uh, fulfill God's command without Eve. Again, we, the whole joke, right? God didn't put Adam and Steve in the garden, right? You've heard this joke before. But it, it is true. I mean, that would be an issue. They'd be two good friends, but with no children, right? I mean, that's, that's the problem. Adam cannot be fruitful, and he cannot multiply without Eve. Somebody read Genesis 2, 22 through 25. Genesis 2, 22 through 25. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said... This is now bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. How far? Yeah, the 25. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Mm. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. They are equal and worth, um, they're both given the image of God, but there's differences between the two. There's not only differences in role and strength, but there's also differences in looks. They physically they're different. They're physically so they have the same essence, but they're different physically. Sexually they are different, and that's by God's design. And by God's design, that's how, when they come together in one union, physically in one flesh physically. This, this is how they're able to fulfill the command of being fruitful and multiplying, right? And again, this is by God's design. This, this is very good. Um, we see actually in Ephesians chapter 5, 28 through 32, I'll read this. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So when we talk about one flesh, we're not just simply they live in the same house. No, physically, one of the, one of the physical representations of one flesh is sex. When they are, when they are expressing themselves sex, sexually, there's a one flesh um, demonstration that is happening. And this is, again, by God's design. This is good. This is by God's design. They're united together, not just in a covenant of marriage, but also physically. And this is, again, by God's design. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 3. Song, uh, Solomon says, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. Right? You belong to one another. You don't belong to yourself when you're married. You belong to one another. Your bodies belong to one another, right? There's a respect towards one another, even physically. And again, this is good. This is by God's design. The giving of one another, the self-giving um, of one another through uh, sexuality is good. This is, again, by God's design. 
So let me give you a, a definition. I think it may be on your notes. Let me see. Um, yeah, it's right here. What is marriage? What is marriage? Can somebody read that for, for me? It's right there in the middle of the first page. What is marriage? Can somebody read that? A covenantal bodily union of one man and one woman open to the gift of procreation, symbolic of the relationship between Christ and the church. Okay, so we're going to kind of break this definition down. Why is marriage a covenant? Why is it covenantal? What is covenant? Covenant means a promise. It's a unity. It's a contract, right? It's, a, it's a, a, an agreement between two parties, right? You take vows. And one of those things in those vows is, is that that is an exclusive relationship, right? You don't invite anyone else into this, right? This is a man and a woman coming together, making promises together. They're making vows to one another. And this is something that they're going to share in together. And that is, again, by God's design, it's a man and a woman. Not a man and a man and a woman. Not two men and two women. Not a man and a man or a woman and a woman. But a man and a woman coming together. And that is an exclusive relationship. It's exclusive. But it's more than just a promise, right? A covenant. Because it's a promise between you and your partner and God. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's more than just a promise. Covenant. Right. Slight distinction, but right. There, there's a requirement of faithfulness towards one another, right? And your faithfulness to one another is also faithfulness to God, right? If you're unfaithful to your spouse, you're actually also being unfaithful to God because you made this promise before God. It's actually deeper than a contract. Mm-hmm. A contract can be broken. A covenant can be broken. So it's covenantal. Um, we do see that you know, marriages are dissolved, there's divorces that happen, but that was not the original intent in Genesis 2 for them to be married. And if it doesn't work out, I guess they can get divorced, right? Um, the expectation is that they would be together and that they would be one flesh together for life. Also, it's a bodily union. So there is an expectation that those who are married will have sex with one another, right? That, that there would be a sexual unity that happens. That there would be a consummation of this marriage. That it would be sealed with sex. That's why the wedding night is what it is, right? It's a consummation of a, this promise. This, you've made this unity, this unity promise before God and others, and then you, may, you come together physically, right? And this is, again, good. This is by God's design. We see at the end of chapter 2 that they left their father and mother and they came together as one flesh and they were naked and unashamed, right? So this is a good thing. This is by God's design. And it would be a union between one man and one woman, right? So marriage, by definition, is the one man and one woman coming together, right? So two men coming together is not marriage. By definition, it's not marriage. Uh, according to God's word, it's not marriage. So like even the even same even um, same sex marriage, by biblical definition, that is not that's a contradiction in terms, right? Marriage is a, is is by definition, again, from creation itself. You can't go back any further than that, right? From the foundations, it's a man and a woman. 
that are, that are, that's, that's a marriage. And so that's really important. So why is it important? Why is it important that marriage is between a man and a woman? There's some practical reasons why it's important. It may not be practical, but I think the number one is simply because God said so. God said so, right. Mm-hmm. God said so. No procreation. There's no procreation. <laughs> yeah. Again, within the definition of marriage, what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is the command to be fruitful and multiply. Well, how are you going to do that? Right? If it's two men or two women. It's you, like teamwork. You, can, you can't have children. You can't have children. You can't procreate. It's impossible. Uh, they are to fulfill this command in Genesis 1 to be fruitful and multiply through marriage. So the, the means on how Adam and Eve were going to fulfill this command was through marriage. So what it's also saying is that if you have a child outside of marriage, that's not really fulfilling the Genesis 1 command. Now, again, all children are, are good in the celebration of the Lord, and, but that's not the original intent. We were intended to get married and to come together physically and then to have children. And, but because of the fall, because of sin, the consequence of sin is, is barrenness, right? Being uh, infertile. And so we, when we get to Adam and, and Sarah, I mean, I'm sorry, a, uh, Abraham and Sarah, that is a representation of the fall, how the fall has impacted negatively uh, this command to be fruitful and multiply. Even those who get married struggle to have children, right? So this is a byproduct of the fall. Another byproduct of the fall is same-sex attraction. Same-sex attraction. And we're going to talk more about it. Hence the confusion and the, um, the distortion of of marriage, of sexuality, because of the fall. Because of the fall. So we shouldn't be shocked when we meet someone who's gay. We shouldn't be shocked because this is, again, this is a, this is, we live in a fallen world, and because of the fall, people's sexualities will be corrupted. It will be distorted. We shouldn't be surprised that people want to get married to someone of the same sex. Again, because of the fall, because of the distortion of what God has created, people uh, do things that are against God's word, it's, it's, that, are, that are sins before the Lord. So again, marriage is, is the, kind of reading the definition again, is a covenantal bodily union of one man and one woman open to the gift of procreation and symbolic of the relationship between Christ and the church. That's the other one of the issues with homosexuality is how could you possibly represent the relationship between Christ and the church. Christ and the church, the importance of the differences, right, of Christ and his bride. So which makes, it, which makes marriage such a, an important institution in our world is that it represents Christ and the church, right? And we see how husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her. And the church, and the, church the, the, the wife, is to submit him, herself to the leadership of her husband, as the church is to submit to Christ's leadership as well. Are there any questions so far? Yes? So I don't know if this is appropriate now or if you want to ask this kind of stuff later. Sure. But, um, so in a, in a culture where sex is 
same-sex marriage is so common, um, and fertility, you know, devices and things are out there to have children outside of a man and a, not outside of a man and a woman, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Where I'm getting to. So, is there a point of, as a believer that we just or in conversation with people that actually think that they're believers and we're going back and forth about that? Well, you know, I am procreating. Right. We've had that conversation with people where we just say, okay, we're just going to agree to just, like, how do we even handle that when we're in a culture that just is so divisive over yeah, and I think, again, I mean, even when, when, when Christ talks about marriage, he goes back to Genesis 1, you know. And so I think we need to always go back to this, you know, God created, and what he created was good. And our distortion is n- not good, right? Um, and so it, this desire to reject God's authority and lordship and do it on your own, that spirit of autonomy, um, is the spirit, like I said in a sermon a few weeks ago, it's the spirit of Cain. Uh, and it always, it never leads, it never leads to joy for the person. It never leads to satisfaction or contentment for the person. Um, and the desire for them to, especially like when it comes to those in homosexual relationships, or even those in adulterous relationships in particular, they are failing to experience sex the way God had created them to experience it. And that's to their own um, um, detriment, especially in, in the area of satisfaction. Like there's been studies over and over again, right, that those who experience the most fulfillment sexually are those in Christian relationships because of that understanding of the commitment and the relationship, right, and understanding that this is a relationship that's, that's the glory of the Lord and that God created sex for my enjoyment and for a satisfaction and for his glory, that there's a, something that we receive the joy of that, and there's a lot of sin in sex, and there's a lot of discontentment and destruction in sex that the world is actually, like, championing. And that's, that's the unfortunate thing. They think that the Christians are all a bunch of squares who don't experience any type of sexual pleasure, which is just not the truth. It's just not, not even true, right? But as a believer, then, we have to be very careful, I guess, about whether a person's really seeking to hear it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because there's so much, there's just so much screaming and fighting going on you know, in that conversation right now. But I think a lot of times as Christians, we get involved with that, with people that really aren't looking to hear right. that kind of information. And I don't know if they would share, like, are you, like, sad, like, are you, like, happy? Are you guilt-free in your sexuality? Like, are you, do you, do you experience, like, freedom and joy in your sexuality? Because it seems like in the world, like, there's just a lot of destruction. Especially sexually, there's just a lot of destruction with you, when you get into Me Too movement, when you get into even the promises of the homosexual culture and stuff, like there's just, because there's a lot, even within the kind of the LGBTQ culture, the view, especially amongst like gay men, is to have as many partners as you could possibly find, right? What ends up being the consequence of that? Disease. Disease. There's health issues. And again, like that's not a lot of freedom sexually, is there? There's not a lot of joy. And that's the sadness. That's why I think there's a sense of sadness that they're being told that they're having all this revolutionary freedom when actually if they were to embrace the Lord, embrace his, his teachings and his, 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 his word, that there's, there's joy and freedom in what he's created because that's by his design, right? Yes? I was just going to say to her point, you know, 
and maybe this is misapplied, but you know, God says don't cast your pearls before swine. And what I mean by that is if that person is just kind of picking at you just to try to hear your beliefs so they can shoot them down and, and you know, I don't Jesus talked in parables and I think there's a time when maybe they're coming to you on this information yeah. and is, are willing to listen. Yeah. Otherwise it's just you're, 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 so this is something precious, and you're throwing it out there so they can print it. Right, right, and and I'll, I think this is important because I think the the church in particular of the years have, has really, uh, in some ways, struggled with this. Is that there is repentance and forgiveness for those who have who have failed sexually, and if you have failed sexually, if you have committed sin sexually, if you've been sexually immoral. Christ's salvation is is sufficient to save you from that and to heal you and redeem you from that. So I think that I'm going to say this, and I I apologize if this comes off against the the whole, like, you only have your virginity once and you're never going to get it back. I don't think that's actually in the the long run very helpful for people because it basically says that if you committed that mistake once, then therefore you're in some ways filthy and dirty. And that's just not the truth. Christ redeems and saves and he makes whole and heals. And I know what we were trying to say back then, but I think in the long ways, it almost distorts what the gospel does, which is saves and heals and renews and transforms. So if you have a daughter or son who fails and has, you know, commit, has a sex at a wedding, at a marriage, right? That is a sin, and they need to repent of it. But Christ... Jesus' death of the cross redeems that. And we should then um, encourage them to repent and then embrace them and love them and, ho- and help them not to make those, those mistakes again, right? I think that's how the church should be um, as a hospital for sinners, right? So, um, and I think that's where sexuality and the Bible, and especially the New Testament, talks a lot about it. It is, it is destructive. I mean, sexuality is, I mean, look at David and Uriah and, and, and Bathsheba. That was a very destructive story. Um, but we have to be sure that we're quick to show grace and really point people to Christ so that they can be redeemed. Right? So. I have a question. Yes. Is the word marriage used in any of those verses that you shared? I don't think in any version of the Bible does it say that Adam and Eve married. Yeah, well, the Old Testament is you know, like Isaac, um, you know, yeah, there's that kind of like they knew each other, right? There's a kind of a, an understanding like, you know, they were, they were married, right? They, they, they had a union, right? They had a union. Um, that's the, the term we use to mean a male and, and female coming together in this, this covenant relationship and this, this um, lifelong relationship where procreation will be a part of this. And I don't think it's used in the. Well, is it used in the law? I, I can't remember. That's rem- my question. I don't see it. I don't remember the word marriage actually. Yeah, a man and a woman they had a union. Right. Because that's the way God meant it. But right. The word marriage. I know you mentioned it, so I'm just asking. And divorce is obviously used. Yeah, in the movie. Yeah, and so the 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 like the breakdown of the marriage is being a divorce, right? A, a, an ending of that relationship um, is used in scripture. Um, Deuteronomy, yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think it means? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty deep. 
It is, yeah. There's a, an intimacy. There's a knowledge of one another that they didn't know before, right? And, and typically in the context of physically, they physically knew each other they didn't know before, right? Oh. It seems like, you know, that when they're talking about God closing up, you know, putting Adam to sleep and taking out a rib and all that, it says he, in some of the translations that he brought his wife to him. And I think it's the word wife, wife, but I keep wrong. Well, in, in the NIV, it says Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame in Genesis 2.25. So, mm-hmm. so I thought the same it's thing. Wife. The term wife okay. appears clearly, but mm-hmm. not marriage. Okay. But marriage is in Deuteronomy. There's marriage laws. Yeah, yeah. And again, remember, Genesis is being written by Moses, who also writes the other four books of the Bible, right? So what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is being used, it's kind of, they're, they're reading it with the understanding and laws that Moses gives in Deuteronomy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we see in actually different parts of Scripture, even in the Old Testament especially, the distortion of marriage, right? We see in Genesis 19, the story of Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah, what's going on there? Sodomy laws, where's that coming from? Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, we see that uh, the angels of the Lord had come to the house of Lot, and the men of Sodom were sm- are knocking on doors, and they wanted to know the men, right? They wanted to know the men which is lame in terms, is that they wanted the men to come out so they could have sex with the men, right? This is in Genesis 19. So we're not that far from the, from the beginning of the story, right, to Genesis 19. So homosexuality is not some new thing that hit our shores in the 2000s, right? This has been going on since the early parts of created history. Uh, we see that in Leviticus 18 that there's laws against homosexuality, right? A man should not lie with another man. Uh, they shouldn't lie with an animal either, right? Restrictions of homosexuality and bestiality and other distortions of sexuality. The reason why there's a law is because humans are fallen and are prone to distorted um, actions sexually. There would be no law if it hadn't happened before, right? Um, and so there are these distortions uh, sexually. There's counterfeits of sex. These are counterfeits. These are not the real thing. This is not what God had created and designed for men and women to um, uh, do sexually. Men and women were not created to have sex with the same sex. They weren't created to do that. I mean, just not to get into any kind of like more, right. But just bodily, it doesn't make sense, right? You can just look at it bodily from biology. You can see by God's design how this is supposed to work, right? And so you can see the distortion and the confusion when you put two of them together and think that's what sex is, right? It's, it's just not right. Um, so there's sexual fulfillment in marriage, but one thing that we want to also share, because this gets into the culture of sexuality, is well, I have a sexuality, and if I don't get to experience my sexuality, then I'm not living a full human life. Have you heard that before? I'm attracted to the same sex, therefore, I should be able to uh, experience my desires for me to be fulfilled. Again, the R, romantic, I feel, I desire. I'm independent, I'm individual, I should be able to have the rights to do that. 
The problem is, is Jesus is a great example of someone who had a sexuality, did not have sex, like he was never married. And are we saying he did not live a full human life? No, he, he lived a, to have sex is not to be human. It's just, God has created us the capacity to have it, but by not having it doesn't mean you did not live a human life, right? You don't become a human when you have sex. You're a, I think you're pretty sure a human before that, right? But it, you, we laugh because that's what people are saying, though. Like, if I don't get to express my sexual desires, then I'm not fulfilling what I am as a human. That's my desire. Let me go rob all the banks, and why is that wrong? Yeah. At some point, you have to accept an authority. Right. You do have to accept an authority. Now, they would kind of say that that's, a, that's ridiculous. Right? Breaking the law or robbing a bank is wrong. I should be able to have sex with whoever I want to. That's kind of neat. <laughs> Well, now they're not saying, because you can go into a store and take everything you want out of them. They're not saying it's wrong anymore. That's not good. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that I want to be doing that doesn't make it right. So, interesting about Jesus came into the world as a man, meaning Jesus had a sex. He was a man. Jesus had the biology of a man. Right? He didn't come genderless. He wasn't like some kind of alien without a gender, right? He was a man. In every way, a man. And he came into the world through a woman. Matthew 2, Mary gave birth. She, he came through her womb. So even Jesus is not like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator and just kind of flashes to the ground all naked-like, Right? You know, he came through his mother Mary's womb. So even the way that God brought Jesus in the world was through the biology, through the womb of a woman. I think it's important to remember and to not forget that he was like us in every way, Hebrews chapter 2. Um, but what do we know about Jesus' life? Perfect. Not only was he perfect, but there was, he wasn't married. Regardless of what Dan Brown says with Da Vinci Code, he didn't get married, right? Nowhere in the Gospels did Jesus have a wife. Um, he didn't have children. Now, we don't want to get into all this the speculation like, well, could he have had a wife? Could he have had children, right? Um, I don't think there's anything wrong. There's nothing sinful about being married, <laughs> And there's nothing sinful about having children. We have to be careful because you say, well, yeah, he can't be married because being married is, that's what sinners do. Like, oh, hold on a second. Like, that you're, you're kind of uh, going too far with that. As being married does not make us sinful and us having children does not make us. So in some ways you could say Jesus could have been married and had children, but that wasn't God's will for him, right? He was, he was faithful to his father's will completely. And his father's will was for him not to be married and not to have children. So he was not married, he, was not, he didn't have children. Therefore, if he wasn't married, he didn't have children, he didn't have sex, right? But what do we do know? He was a man and could have had sex, right? So, but we know that Jesus never had sex, but yet he lived a human life. So not having sex doesn't mean that you don't, are not a human or lived a human life. Um, Jesus actually, uh, he talks about this um, in Matthew 19, verse 12. 
he talks about eunuchs. He talks about eunuchs that were by man's design, which are those who lived in courts, right, and were restricted from having um, sex with the king's concubines and mistresses and these things. Um, that's, that had to have been a horrible, horrible, horrible experience uh, for them. But there are others that are eunuchs who are made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. These are the, those who choose um, celibacy and choose not to be married and have sex. And this is actually some of the explanation on those who have same-sex attraction. So those who have same-sex attraction are encouraged by the word of God not to pursue their attractions, but instead embrace um, celibacy um, and serve the Lord, as Jesus says here in Matthew 19, verse 12. So Jesus is someone who was, um, chose celibacy. He chose to be celibate. This is, the, this is the will of his father, and this is what he did. And the thing about Jesus is, is that he experienced intimate relationships, just not, between, not in a marriage relationship. We see in his relationship with his disciples, especially, that he had intimacy with his, with his friends and that he, he loved them, he cared for them, but he was not gay. And that's one of the sad things about kind of our culture with homosexuality, and I think it's one of the, the byproducts of that is a lot of men do not have close friends. It's because there's, there's a joke, oh, y'all gay or something? And I think that's one of the sad things is that, is that men now are, there, are so like afraid of being close with other men that it impacts them even having intimacy amongst one another. But Jesus expressed intimacy and love between his disciples, but he was not married, he did not have sex, but yet he lived a human life. So your friend, your, people that you know who deal with same-sex attraction... And they're saying, well, like, I've got to live out my desires. That's what it means to be me. I, this is my sexuality. This is how I'm going to fulfill uh, my human desires. This is how I'm going to experience intimacy. And you want to say to them, you don't have to have sex to have intimacy. Right? Because if, if, it, if it means you have to have sex to have intimacy, for all of our brothers and sisters who are single... That means we're saying they can never be intimate with anyone. They can never have friends and deep love with anyone um, because they can't be married. They, they, because they, you know, we, 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 it's against God's word to embrace same-sex attraction. So we have to be careful, even with those who are single in our church, in our, in our kind of in our network, in our midst, not to discourage them by saying that they're less human because they're not married. Yes, sir. Perhaps was Jesus closer to other men would be his disciples. What kind of relationship? You know, when they talk about fishing or what they talk about, when they were walking down the road and, and eating together, yeah. what conversation do you think was close? They was closer to the disciples than anybody else. Yeah, I, you know, Jesus, while sinless, was a, was a man of his day, right? Um, they would have talked about things of our day like we do, right? Um, you know, what are you and your friends? Jesus. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. They talked well, a lot about they talked a lot about football and Marvel comics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he was a carpenter, so yeah. that was part of the conversation. Yeah, and maybe he talked about their fish, fishing, uh, you know, vocation. Talked about their families. 
Oh yeah, I bet they did. Yeah. He was friends with. Yeah, there were others that followed and that he was close with. Uh, we know that he was very close with Mary and Martha, like very close. They were. Yeah, they were close friends. When Lazarus died, he cried. Right. So you see throughout the Gospels that Jesus was quite close to a lot of people. He had relationships with people. He had, with Mary and Martha, it wasn't like simply they watched him from the crowd, and then when Lazarus dies, they, you know, they have this relationship. Though it was a a personal relationship, right? Um, They weren't just people in the crowd, right? They were were important to him, and he was important to them. Well, and his family, I mean, he grew up in in a nuclear family. Yeah. You know, had those intimate relationships, and clearly his mother Mary meant more to him than just, you know, this body that right. received him. Right. He even took time while dying on the cross to ensure that she was taken care of by John, and um, I think it was John. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was. It's like, you know, he loved her as his human mother. He did. I mean, even the wedding at Cana, right? He was there with her. Um. So again, you see Jesus, he was a man who had friends. He cared about his mother. He cared about Mary and Martha. He, was, he cared about Lazarus. He cared about the people that he healed and that he did miracles for. He had all these relationships. He, he was invited over to people's house for dinner. <laughs> uh, but he did, not, he did not get married. And he was not, he wasn't a gay man. He wasn't genderless. He was a man who was celibate. And he, in a lot of ways, we see the example of what it looks like to be single and to follow the Lord. And even Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about singleness, the season of singleness, and being devoted to the Lord in your singleness. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, and I think it's important to know that in Scripture, it is the expectation that most people would get married. That's kind of the normative experience. But not everyone will be married. And it's okay if you're not married. You're not subhuman, right? You're not less of a human because you're not married and not have sex, right? Are there any questions on any of that? And those who are longing to be married, those who are longing to be married, like who are single but they desire to be married, um, to support, pray for them. Um, and that God would provide someone who is faithful to the Lord. Um, the sad thing is when people have to, who feel so like stressed about marriage, um, they want to be married so bad that they marry someone who's not a believer, right? And you, you all will say, they're like, oh goodness, you know? It is. How many people do you know who have married non-believers? I know a friend who married someone who is, who's Catholic but not a Christian. And how many conversations I've had with them about their marriage? And, the, and because they don't have the same beliefs, they don't have the same values. Um, he's devoted to her because the God's word calls him to be devoted to her, and he does love his wife. But you can see the conflict that they have. Um, so yes, somebody doing a question. Well, I was just going to say too, um, men can have a loving relationship to each other. Take for instance uh, a platoon. Yeah, good. In the army. If you watch that band of brothers, yes, fantastic. And I'm sure that in that those nine people there, it was probably uh, homosexual people, men in that 
platoon, but they had a, a different aspect. Their lives meant something to each other. Right. The man on the left, right. the man on the right were your most important person. Correct. Yep. That's a... If you if, if you never watched the TV series, but the book as well is really good, and you, you can see the the depth of like love and trust with one another. Brotherly love. It's brotherly love, yeah. It's brotherly love, not sexual love, as C.S. Lewis says, not love that's love of erotic desire, but the love of friend, right? Love. It, well, there's a difference, though. There's, as uh, C.S. Lewis books for love, there is, there is love of like a parent to a child, right? There's, but there's erotic love, which is love between a husband and a wife. Um, but the love of friend is a love of you choosing. You choose to love that person, and again, there's no marriage relationship. There's no obligation, like from a marriage perspective. There's no obligation from a child to a to a, a father to a son or a wife to a son. I mean, a, a, a mother to a son. But the, the choice of a friend, like friends who choose to love each other, is, 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 C.S. Lewis spends a lot of time talking about the importance of that love um, and how significant that is. I think the reason it's difficult for us to understand an intimate relationship between Christ and everybody else is because, because we think of him as being... We can only think as a human. We cannot think as God. Right. And he was perfect. Right. So for a man to be able to have an intimate relationship with God, I mean, that's the ultimate. I know. And, and he knew what they needed. Mm-hmm. So. But also experienced. related with them. But also experienced temptations just like they did. So and as a and as a man, I'll say as a man when I read that passage in Hebrews, that he experienced humanity, and was tempted in every way, but did not sin. I have to again. I know this is going to come off as weird, but I think this is where the passage takes you, is that he was a man, therefore was tempted as a man is tempted, but did not sin. And because he didn't. He was setting the example that was so, I would think it would be so overwhelming right. to another man because men don't, men don't tend to have those kinds of relationships. You know what I'm trying to yeah, say? I know. So it's just, it was such a huge blessing to yep. be able to be Jesus' best friend. Right. I mean, right. that just sounds weird. Even what's so, what's, so, what's so distorted, what is so horrible about our culture is that people read David and Jonathan and assume they were gay. Have you heard this? Have you read this? Oh yeah, oh yeah. People, there are there. Nowadays, they read into the text and say this is an example of a godly or god honoring homosexual relationship. That's coming from like universities. They've done that with Achilles. They've done it with all. Uh, Sam and Frodo. Yeah, Yeah, Sam and so. Yep. Huh? Yeah. Right. Right. Well, the interesting thing is, is that society likes to do that, but then they also like to complain about toxic masculinity. And they like to say, you know, like, men should... On the one hand, they say, like, well, men should be able to be soft and vulnerable. They should be able to cry and show emotion, and they should be able to, you know, this or that. But then they turn around and point at men who do that and say, you're gay. Right. 
Like they, they, and I think that's like you said before, it's stunting men's relationships because men, men feel like, especially in like Christian circles where we care about this stuff and we're not just super liberal, that men are hesitating to have those deep, intimate friendships and relationships because oh, they don't want to be gay. Right. And even among women, like the same sex attraction thing, like I think even among women we can sometimes be a little too fearful of crossing the line because the reality is there's all kinds of same-sex attraction that's not sexual. Correct. You meet somebody with a magnetic personality Correct. who's charming, who's got, who's, uh, what's that CH term? Charismatic, thank you. That's CH uh, Or that you just click with. You meet a new group of women and like one in particular, you're just like, wow, this I really click with this person. I really think I could have a good close friendship with this person or even just seeing a woman and thinking wow she is beautiful like oh my goodness that is a gorgeous woman there's nothing sexual in that it's a form of attraction but it's it's a human attraction Correct. it's not a sexual and that goes back to this like you're not your sexuality right but yeah i'm not putting so much like so much negativity in it that oh dear i thought that woman was beautiful I'm straying into same-sex attraction territory. Right. Like, it's like we need to be careful to not ruin the good that God has put in our human relationships outside of marriage and and start, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we get so uptight as Christians that we start tainting what God has made good. We need to have that firm boundary of relationships are great. It's where it gets into sexuality. And I don't think we're going to get into this because we have like 10 minutes left in class, but not just the same sex attraction, but all the other distortions you mentioned, bestiality, pedophilia, incest. There's all kinds of distortions to God's plan for sex. And yeah. Yeah. And again, it goes back to these, these, you know, like, well, this has been always the the counter arguments to to this idea of, well, I should be able to, to do what I desire. Okay. Well, what is your desire is to have sex with children. What does that go? So like, again, like you're, you, you can't just let desires run amok, right? and our culture is allowing desires to run amok without defining them because they have no standard to define them. That's why the Bible is so key because it is the it, it's the definer of these very important things like sexuality. How should you express your sexuality? It's not sexual revolution of the '60s. It's in marriage between a man and a woman. And another thing, just to you know, piggyback on what she said, I know we're short on time, but you know, God doesn't want us to have any idols either. And I have, I'm single, I have a lot of single male friends, and it's like they're pining for this woman to come right. along. And I said, get in, you know, I understand that's a natural desire, but get involved with men's ministry. None of them will. They won't. I just want the woman. Right. But, but the thing is, now you're putting an unfair burden on her if she ever appears because right. you're going to expect her to meet all your desires. Right. Right. And in a way, that's sort of making her an idol. Right. I think that is a great point. You have these men's ministries. They're like, where are the single men? There's like no single men. You're like, where are they at? Like, oh, they're trying to find a wife. They're trying to find a wife, but actually, like, again, God's the giver of, but why don't they find male friends? But they say that all the time. They go, oh, no, I'm not into that. I just want one. Yeah. And, they're, and so they're, you, know what, you know what ends up happening? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And again, they're trying to, they're trying to achieve their, their, they're trying to fulfill their intimacy that they need just by being married. Let me mention a few things quickly. Um, same-sex same sex attraction, it is a byproduct of fallen people with fallen desires. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Uh, we have Titus 3, 3, slaves to various passions and uh, pleasures. Desires are distorted because of the fall. So, again, what I desire... I shall, I, I want, I should uh, have is distorted. That desire is distorted. It's sick. It's corrupted. You don't trust your desires, especially if they're outside God's word. Let me mention these four things and I'll let you ask a question. Um, number two, the question is, what if someone's born this way? We are born into sin. We, original sin, we are born in this world sinful and fallen. Because you're born in this world sinful does not give you justification for your sinful act. You don't even have to be taught to sin. It happens. Romans 7. Number three, homosexuality is not the unforgivable sin. Yes, Leviticus says it's an abomination. Yes, Romans 1 says it is a judgment of the Lord. Right? This slippery slope of sin God has allowed, and where is it ending? It's ending with homosexuality, the distortions of sexuality. It is a judgment of the Lord, but it doesn't mean it's unforgivable. So let's not treat those who, who are in homosexual cultures and treat them as they can't be forgiven. Christ got, the, the cross does, is sufficient to save and to save all. We need to proclaim the gospel to them. We don't want them to come. Again, you are judged by God and sent to hell, not for homosexuality, but for unbelief. Can, a, can someone who is homosexual become a Christian? Yes. Yes. That's not a hard question. Anyone who says it's hard is ridiculous. That is not a hard question. Because it's sin. It's, it's like, sin. If somebody's a, a, a drunkard or something like this, you know, it's, how do you, it's sin. It's a sin. The problem, though, is this, being gay, is a lifestyle and an identity. And it's hard to unfold that, isn't it? It's the same. It's hard to witness to someone who's a Muslim because it's their identity, right? Uh, the fourth one is, is pretty much it. The goal isn't necessarily heterosexual attraction. The goal is holiness. So if you know someone who has same-sex attraction who is a believer, the goal for them is not to then have heterosexual attraction. The goal is for them to be holy, to follow the Lord, to trust the Lord, and to eagerly await for His coming where we are made complete and we are glorified with Christ forevermore. Remember, in heaven, you will not be married. You will be single for eternity. <laughs> Therefore, be very kind and loving to our singles because they're actually living out your eternal destiny. I'm just saying. 
when you, I, 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 the, that, is, that is actually our eternal destiny is singleness. We will, be, we will be satisfied completely in the Lord. And that will be sufficient and content for us. Isn't that amazing? And that's a good thing. For your friends that are men, yeah, th- tell them it's like, yes, if that's your desire to be married, yes. But realize that for eternity, you will be completely devoted to the Lord. Yes, exactly. Yes, Dewey, sorry. We also have to realize that we will be known as we were known. So I'm going to know that Anne's my wife, even though she's going to be single. So we're going to be family units up there in, in the same way. And the other aspect, I think, of... Um, of why, why we have homosexuals or gays or lesbians or whatever uh, is demon influence. As a Christian, I can't be possessed by a demon, but I can be influenced. Uh, maybe I'm watching uh, something on the computer and I'm looking for one thing and all of a sudden here's porn pops up. Mm-hmm. So it's... Uh, we have to be aware that... As we get closer and closer to the end, the demon activity is getting worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And that, that, I think people have to take into consideration. Um, I know people that have gone to psychologists and psychiatrists and uh, did not have anything done for them. Mm. By those people. Mm. Yes. So I appreciated your comment on number two about what if someone is born that way. Um, you said we're all born into sin. Yeah. Because I so often have heard myself the response to that being, well, God doesn't make any mistakes. Right. Of course he doesn't, but we're going back to free fall. Right. Which doesn't really answer the question. Right. For people. Right. It doesn't. Yeah, the important Christian worldview, we, creation, God had created. He is the Lord. There is a fall. The world is not right and we are not right because there is a fall. We are born in the world sinful. Hence, we need Redemption. We need a savior. And we're not just saved, but we are redeemed and we are sanctified to an end, which is glorification and consummation where he's bringing all things new. And in that world, in that existence, there will be no distortion of sexuality. There will be no transgenderism. There will only be Christ and holiness to him. Yeah. So in Psalm 51, where it points that out, 51 and the only fixing comes to Christ and the Holy Spirit, right? And that, I learned so much, I already said this, but about my friend that was into drug addiction is David had a heart, God said that David's heart was after him. And that, I saw that lived out in my friend because he would end up in jail fallen again, and, but he would agree with God, and that's the difference in the gay mentality. He would say, God, I know this is sinful. I, help me. I can't help myself, like Psalm 51. And he, he, I probably learned more about being a Christian in my early years as a Christian from him than just about anybody I knew. Mm-hmm. So a few uh, concluding points. Honor marriage. Um, you know, honor that relationship that God has designed and God created. Honor singleness as well. Uh, singleness is not some subhuman category. Um, Christ was single. Paul was single. Our eternity future is singleness. And try to cultivate strong friendships. 
Um, men and women cultivate, men struggle with this. Um, if the world says, well, gosh, they must be gay because they like each other, then I guess that's just their own problem. But uh, we need to pursue good friendships. And thankfully, you know, we have shepherd groups. I would encourage you to be a part of one. It's a great way to make friends, right? Um, and one other thing I wanted to just encourage you with, and we, uh, we've talked about this with, you know, the gay marriage laws and the, uh, the trans- transgender laws and all these things that are coming out, um, you know, as, as citizens of the United States, you should vote against these things. Um, they are against God's word. They, they are destructive towards people. However, the church doesn't have any jurisdiction to change laws. And, um, and the church, if someone is in a homosexual relationship and they call themselves a Christian and in the church... That's against God's word, and they should be called to repentance. If we do not call them to repentance, I think it's the First Corinthians 5 perspective that we are allowing sin to just happen without calling them to repentance, and it's against God's word. But there is repentance, and there is reconciliation through the gospel. So um, we need to kind of distinguish those two. Um, the government's going to make their decisions. We're going to vote for elected officials, and those officials are going to appoint judges, and we hope that they do the right thing. But we know God is in control, and we know in the church that we're not necessarily responsible as, a, as an institution to what happens in the government. We are responsible for what happens in the church. And we cannot let those who dishonor marriage or dishonor God's design of sex and call that Christian. We can't allow it. So that's the stuff that we really have to be careful of because there's a lot of churches that are falling into the trap of embracing homosexuality and embracing other types of distortion that are just against God's word, right? Are there any questions? Anything that I can answer? Where do we draw the line between calling someone out for their sin in a positive, uplifting, encouraging way Versus when do we get to the point of you need to leave? Yeah. That's a, I think that's a very, very hard line. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do we say we welcome everyone, we want to teach you and educate you, but at what point do we say, well, you have refused to come in alignment with our political yeah. ideologies. Yeah. And it's been long enough now and you've been unrepentant long enough now yeah. that we feel your negative influence in our church and of, of our children or of our reputation or whatever it may be that you need to leave because sin is sin but we can't have a convicted sex offender working with our children's ministry you know what I mean yeah like, <laughs> it's a it's a, if there's some things that it seems easy to say and then there's other things where it really feels like it's yeah slip, it's, a, it's a hard line to find yeah and I'm curious what your thought is on um general. are you talking about someone who actually like not who just agrees like with the beliefs of you're actually someone embraces. Yeah, not not saying not 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 someone who maybe has more liberal ideology right. than we. Which is also problematic, do, yeah. But someone who actively lives a gay lifestyle, who yeah. comes to our church, who comes to service, participates in Bible studies, and claims to be a Christian. Yeah, that's the key point. They claim to be a Christian. Right. right. If they don't claim to be a Christian, then they're welcome to come, hear God's word preached. But they claim to be a Christian. It that's where that discipleship relationship comes in. It's like you're embracing an anti-Christian lifestyle 
You are supposed to take up your cross and follow Christ. You're to follow Christ. This is not following Christ. You cannot call yourself a Christian and live this way. You must repent of your sins and be reconciled. And if they refuse to do so, you get to the Matthew 18 stuff. Like you just, you have to, because someone is living a life that is opposed to Scripture. And it's our responsibility as the church. If it gets to that point, hopefully, the point of Matthew 18 is reconciliation. The hope of those steps is that they would repent and put and trust in the Lord. And even if they are dealing with same-sex attraction, doesn't mean that that just goes away. But that gets into the point that, like Sam Elber is saying, is that we have to take up our cross. I know that I'm attracted to men. I'm a man. But you can't live that out. You must follow Christ and know that Christ is, con- is sufficient for you. And know that God is in his sovereignty. If he allowed this testing in your life, it, you know, he's certainly going to equip you to face it. And that's where friendship comes in. <laughs> that's where the importance of other men coming around this man and saying, we are going to be your friend. We're going to love you. But that is, it's not godly. It's not biblical for you to embrace sexuality that is against God's word. And it's not good for them. It's going like back to Exodus 20. Like for them, for Israel, like they are not to make other idols because those idols are counterfeits. And, it's, and as God as a good father and a good God does not want them to embrace counterfeits. And the same as us, we don't want people to embrace counterfeit sexuality or counterfeit lifestyles that are destructive and against God's word and will not bring them joy and content. If you're interested in more information about Central Church, you can check us out at centralchurch.com and learn more about our ministries and our classes. And we hope to see you back 